Chapter Eleven of The Court by B. M. Bower. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Eleven. Swan talks with his thoughts. Lorraine, following instinct rather than the thought, pulled Yellow Jacket into the first opening that presented itself. This was a narrow, rather precipitous gully that seemed the slope just beyond the bend. The bushes there whipped her head and shoulders cruelly as the horse forged in among them, but they trapped him effectually where the gully narrowed to a point. He stopped perforce, and Lorraine was out of the saddle and running down to the trail before she quite realized what she was doing. At the bend, she looked down, saw the marks where the wagon had gone over, scraping rocks and bushes from its path. Fence posts were strewn at all angles down the incline, and far down a horse was standing with part of the harness on him and with his head drooping dispiritedly. Her father she could not see, nor the other horse, nor the wagon. A clump of young trees hid the lower declivity. Lorraine did not stop to think of what she would find down there. Sliding, running, she followed the traces of the wreck to where the horse was standing. It was Caroline, looking very dejected, but apparently unhurt, save for skin patches here and there where she had rolled over rocks. A little farther, just beyond the point of the grove, which they seemed to have missed altogether, lay the other horse, and what was left of the wagon. Brit she did not see at all. She searched the bushes, looked under the wagon, and called and called. A full-voiced shout answered her from farther up the canyon, and she ran stumbling toward the sound, too agonized to shed tears or to think very clearly. It was not her father's voice. She knew that beyond all doubt. It was no voice that she had ever heard before. It had a clear resonance that, once heard, would not have been easily forgotten. When she saw them, finally, her father was being propped up in a half-sitting position, and the strange man was holding something to his lips. "'Just a little water. I carry me a bottle of water always in my pocket.' said Swan, glancing up at her when she had reached them. It sometimes makes a man's head think better when he's been hurt, if he can drink a little water or something. Britt swallowed and turned his face away from the tilted bottle. I jumped, but I didn't jump quick enough, he muttered thickly. The chain pulled loose. Where's the horses, Rainy? They're all right. Carolyn's standing over there. Are you hurt much, Dad? It was a futile question, because Britt was already going off into unconsciousness. He's hurt pretty bad, Swan declared honestly, looking up at her with his eyes grown serious. I was across the valley, and I saw him coming down the road like rolling rocks down a hill. I came quick. Now we make stretcher, I think, and carry him home. I could take him on my back, but that is hurting him too much. He looked at her, through her, it seemed to Lorraine. In spite of her fear, in spite of her grief, she felt that Swan was reading her very soul, and she backed away from him. I could help your father very much, he said soberly, but I should tell you a secret if I do that. I should maybe ask that you tell a lie 
if somebody asks questions. Could you do that, miss? Lie, Lorraine laughed uncertainly. I'd kill, if that would help Dad. Swan was folding his coat very carefully and placing it under Britt's head. My mother I love like that, he said without looking up. My mother I love so well that I talk with my thoughts to her sometimes. You believe people can talk with their thoughts? I don't know. What's that got to do with helping Dad? Lorraine knelt beside Britt and began stroking his forehead softly, as is the soothing way of women with their sick. I could send my thoughts to my mother. I could say to her that a man is hurt and that a doctor must come very quickly to the Quirt Ranch. I could do that, miss. But I should not like it if people knew that I did it. They would maybe say that I'm crazy. They would laugh at me, and it is not right to laugh at those things. I'm not laughing. If you can do it, for heaven's sake, go ahead. I don't believe it, but I won't tell anyone if that's what you want. If some neighbors should ask how did that doctor come so quick... I'd rather lie and say I sent for him than say that you or anyone else sent a telepathic message. That would sound more like a lie than a lie would. How are we going to make a stretcher? We've got to get him home somehow. In my cabin is blankets, Swan told her briskly. I can climb the hill. It is up there. In a little while I come back. He started off without waiting to see what Lorraine would have to say about it and with some misgivings she watched him run down to the canyon's bottom and go forging up the opposite side with a most amazing speed and certainty. In travel pictures she had seen mountain sheep climb like that, and she likened him now to one of them. It seemed a shame that he was a bit crazy, she thought, and immediately she recalled his perfect assurance when he told her of sending thought messages to his mother. She had heard of such things. She had even read a little on the subject. But it had never seemed to her a practical means of communicating. Calling a doctor, for instance, seemed to Lorraine rather far-fetched an application of what was at best but a debatable theory. Considering the distance, he was back in a surprisingly short time with two blankets, a couple of light poles, and a flask of brandy. He seemed as fresh and unwinded as if he had gone no further than the grove. And he wore, more than ever, his air of cheerful assurance. The doctor will be there, he remarked, just as if it were the simplest thing in the world. We can carry him to Fred Thurman's. There I can get horses and a wagon, and you will not have to carry so far. And when we get to your ranch, the doctor will be there, I think. He is starting now. We will hurry. I will fix it so you need not carry much. It is just to make it steady for me. While he talked, he was working on the stretcher. He had a rope, and he was knotting it in a long loop to the poles. Lorraine wondered why, until he had lifted her father and placed him on the stretcher, and placed the loop over his own head and under one arm, as a plowman holds the reins, so that his hands may be free. If you will carry the front, said Swan politely, it will not be heavy for you like this, but you will help me keep it steady. Lorraine was past discussing anything. 
she obeyed him silently lifting the end of the stretcher and leading the way down to the canyon's bottom where swan assured her they could walk quite easily and would save many detours which the road above must take at the bottom swan stopped her so that he might shorten the rope and take more of the weight on his shoulders she protested half-heartedly but swan only laughed i am strong like a mule he said you should see me wrestle with somebody clear over my head i can carry a man in my hands this is so you can walk fast three miles straight down we come to thurman's ranch where i get the horses it's funny how hills make a road far around just three miles that's all i've walked many times lorraine did not answer him she felt that he was talking merely to keep her from worrying and she was fairly sick with anxiety and did not hear half of what he was saying she was nervously careful about choosing her steps so that she would not stumble and jolt her father she did not believe that he was wholly unconscious for she had seen his eyelids tighten and his lips twitch several times when she was waiting for swan he had seemed to be in pain and to be trying to hide the fact from her she felt that swan knew it else he would have talked of her dad would at least have tried to reassure her but it is difficult to speak of a person who hears what you are saying and swan was talking of everything it seemed to her except the man that they were carrying she wondered if it was really true that swan had sent a call through space for a doctor straight away she would call herself crazy for even considering for a moment its possibility if he could do that but of course he couldn't he must just imagine it many times swan had her lower the stretcher to the ground and would make a great show of rubbing his arms and easing his shoulder muscles whenever lorraine looked full into his face he would grin at her as though nothing was wrong and when they came to a clear running stream he emptied the water bottle dipped up a little fresh water added brandy and lifted brit's head very gently and gave him a drink brit opened his eyes and looked at swan and from him to lorraine but he did not say anything he still had that tightened look around his mouth which spelled pain pretty quick now we get you fixed up good swan told him cheerfully one mile more is all and we get the horses and i make a good bed for you he looked a signal and lorraine once more took up the stretcher another mile seemed a long way light though swan had made the load for her she thought once that he must have some clairvoyant power because whenever she felt as if her arms were breaking swan would tell her to stop a minute how do you know a doctor will come she asked swan suddenly when they were resting with the thurman ranch in view half a mile below them swan did not look at her directly as had been his custom she saw a darker shade of red creep up into his cheeks my mother says she would send a doctor quick he replied hesitatingly you will see it is because your father he is not like other men in this country your father is a good man that is why a doctor comes lorraine looked at him strangely and stooped again to her burden she did not speak again until they were passing the thurman fence where it ran up to the mouth of the canyon a few horses were grazing there the sun striking their sides with the sheen of satin they stared curiously at the little procession snorted and started to run heads and tails held high 
but one wheeled suddenly and came galloping toward them, stopped when he was quite close, ducked and went thundering past to the head of the field. Lorraine gave a sharp little scream and set down the stretcher with a lurch, staring after the horse, wide-eyed, her face white. They do it for play, Swan said reassuringly. They don't hurt you. The vent is between, and they don't hurt you anyway. That horse with the white face. I saw it, and when the man struck it with his quirt, it went past me, running like that and dragging. Oh! She leaned against the bluff side, her face covered with her two palms. Swan glanced down at Britt, saw that his eyes were closed, ducked his head from under the looped rope, and went to Lorraine. The man that struck that horse? Do you know that man? He asked, all the good nature gone from his voice. No, I don't know. I saw him twice, by the lightning flashes. He shot, and then I saw him. She stopped abruptly, stood for a minute longer with her eyes covered, then dropped her hands limply to her sides. But when the horse came circling back with a great flourish, she shivered and her hands closed into the fists of a fighter. Are you a sawtooth man? she demanded suddenly, looking up at Swan defiantly. It was a nightmare. I... I dreamed once about a horse like that. Swan's wide-open eyes softened a little. The sawtooth calls me that damn Swede on Bear Top, he explained. I took a homestead up there, and some day they will want to buy my place, or they will want to make a fight with me to get the water. Could you know that man again? Rainy, Britt's voice held a warning and Lorraine shivered again as she turned toward him. Rainy, you... He closed his eyes again, and she could get no further speech from him. But she thought she understood. He did not want her to talk about Fred Thurman. She went to her end of the stretcher, and waited there while Swan put the rope over his head. They went on, Lorraine walking with her head averted, trying not to see the blaze-faced roan, trying to shut out the memory of him dashing past her with his terrible burden that night. Swan did not speak of the matter again. With Lorraine's assistance, he carried Britt into Thurman's cabin, laid him stretcher and all on the bed, and hurried out to catch and harness the team of workhorses. Lorraine waited beside her father, helpless and miserable. There was nothing to do but wait, yet waiting seemed to her the one thing she could not do. Rainy, Britt's voice was very weak, but Lorraine jumped as though a trumpet had been bellowed suddenly in her ear. Swan, he's all right, but don't go telling all you know and some besides. He ain't sawtooth, but he might let out. I know, I won't, Dad. It was that horse. Britt turned his face to the wall as if no more was to be said on the subject. Lorraine wandered around the cabin, which was no larger than her father's place. The rooms were scrupulously clean, neater than the court, she observed guiltily. Not one article, however small and unimportant, seemed to be out of place, and the floors of both rooms were scrubbed whiter than any floor she had ever seen. 
Swan's housekeeping qualities made her ashamed of her own imperfections, and when, thinking that Swan must be hungry, and that the least she could do was set out food for him, she opened the cupboard, she had a swift, embarrassed vision of her own culinary imperfections. She could cook better food than her dad had been content to eat, and a set before others, but Swan's bread was a triumph in sourdough. Biscuits tall and light as bread can be, she found, covered neatly with a cloth. Prunes stewed so that there was not one single wrinkle in them. Lorraine could scarcely believe they were prunes until she tasted them. She was investigating a pot of beans when Swan came in. Food I am thinking of, miss, he grinned at her. We shall hurry, but it is not good to go hungry. Milk is outside in a cupboard. It is quicker than to make coffee. It will be dark before we can get him home, said Lorraine uneasily. And by the time a doctor can get out there... A doctor will be there, I think. You don't believe, but that is no difference to his coming just the same. He brought the milk, poured off the creamy top into a pitcher, stirred it, and quietly insisted that she drink two glasses. Lorraine observed that Swan himself ate very little, bolting down a biscuit in great mouthfuls, while he carried a mattress and blankets out to spread in the wagon. It was like his pretense of weariness on the long carry down the canyon, she thought. It was for her, more than for himself, that he was thinking. End of chapter 11 Recording by Tom Penn